It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. What do you think of biblically when the image of a lion is presented? Do you think of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think of the devil? Do you think of us? Where do you apply this lion image? Far too often Christians gravitate toward 1 Peter 5, 8. And that's the first place their mind camps that says, be sober, be vigilant because you're adversary, the devil goes about or walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I believe people that emphasize that verse are really relegating themselves to an inferior position, a fearful position, an intimidated position contrasted to the devil who's like a roaring lion exerting his authority and influence or attempting to in our lives. But notice it said he walks about like a roaring lion. He's impersonating that role, but I don't believe in the life of a Christian, a born-again, blood-washed child of God, that that image is reserved to the prince of darkness. In fact, you only find the devil represented as a lion twice in Scripture. First Peter 5, 8, and the other time, It's certainly not an intimidating picture. Quite the opposite, it's a completely defeated image. It's out of Psalm 91. Let's go there. And first, I want to quote the verse that talks about how God gives his angels charge over us to bear us up in their hands, lest we dash our foot against a stone. Some people read that as if we're going to have a problem-free, stress-free life. I don't believe that's what that verse communicates. Because the next verse shares a a picture, an image that is quite different altogether. It says, you shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon. You shall trample underfoot. So verse 12 says, you're not going to even dash your foot against a stone because angels are bearing you up in their hands. Wow, it's going to be an easy life, right? No, God's not wanting you to be focused on little tiny stone bruise problems, little things in life that grab your attention and steal your victory and get you depressed and get you anxious. There's angels around you that are escorting you to a much more important purpose, and that's crushing the enemy under your feet. Remember, that was the first prophecy in the Garden of Eden, where God said to the devil, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Now, Jesus, of course, was the firstborn among many brethren. He's the serpent bruiser. He's the dragon bruiser. He's the lion bruiser, as depicted in Psalm 91, verse 13. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the cobra, or the adder, the young lion and the dragon. You shall trample underfoot. Well, of course, that was Jesus' role when he came to fulfill the prophecy that was given in the Garden of Eden. 
but he's also doing it through his body. See, you're the body of Christ. He's the head now. And if there's any trampling of the enemy that's going to take place, it's going to take place through the people of God. See, it's God doing it, but he's doing it through you. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. God can do it all by himself. But see, he wants you and I to grow into this character, this Christ-like character of a champion, a conqueror, more than a conqueror. Now, let's go back to the lion image. This is really interesting. So two times, only two times, Satan is depicted as a lion in Scripture that I can find. There may be some other references that I didn't find when I was doing some research on this particular program. But there are quite a few scriptures that symbolize God's people with this image. My favorite, I believe, of all of them is Proverbs 28.1 that says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. In other words, they imagine themselves in a danger zone. Well, that's an out-of-control imagination. And most people in a fallen state have an out-of-control imagination. And fear rules their lives. If no other kind of fear, the fear of death was something we were all in bondage to when we were unsaved and didn't understand about how you could transition from this world to the next fearlessly. And so the wicked flee when no one pursues. It's a, a fearful life to live without God in your life. And your imagination can get control of you. You imagine yourself defeated, depressed, discouraged, downcast, worthless, incapable. Your imagination will push you down into the mud and try to keep you there. But if you have been awakened to your position in the family of God and to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the firstborn among many brethren, then a lion image has been transferred to you. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, that was a scripture given in the Old Testament when righteousness was primarily attained through human effort, through exerting willpower to keep the Torah, the 613 commandments of the Torah, to be righteous in order to be pleasing to God. And certainly all of that is essential and extremely important to walk the road of righteousness in this life. However, we have an added opportunity in the new covenant that, well, the best way to explain it is to quote 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a miracle that we have been made the righteousness of God. You cannot attain a higher level of righteousness than that. And that's part of what makes you a fearless, lion-like adversary to the devil. Because, well, there's another scripture in Isaiah that says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. When you receive righteousness as a gift, then automatically that lifts you to a place where you have dominion over your past, over the sins of the past, the failures of the past, the battles of the present, 
the unforeseen things in the future, you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, he has transferred a lion-like nature to you. The only place that I've ever seen a fearful lion is in the Wizard of Oz, but I certainly don't see it in the Bible. The Bible doesn't share a fearful, quaking, intimidated, trembling image to the children of God. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. You are good soldiers of Jesus Christ, and you're going to win this battle. Now, let me show you how the lion image is first awakened in the Lord Jesus Christ, or not really awakened, but it's it's evidenced when he went into his three and a half year long ministry. That was the lion of the tribe of Judah taking the dominion that was God given that came from the father so that he could bring down the kingdom of Satan and advance the kingdom of God in this world. Now we, we see this image best revealed in the book of Revelation as far as the image of a lion being given to the son of God. Revelation chapter 5, verse 2. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And it was a scroll. It wasn't a book. I know the King James says book, but they didn't have books back then. They had scrolls, and you put seals on a scroll. And a seven-sealed scroll has seven seals on the flat where the scroll, the paper on the scroll closes. So you have to break all seven seals to open up the scroll. Hmm. And the seventh seal is when there's silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And, and then, and then the, uh, the conclusion of this age comes to pass. So I believe the very fact that you have to open all seven seals to open the scroll to begin with the first seal, which is major judgments coming on the earth, and the second, and the third, and the fourth, and fifth, and sixth seal. If God opens those seals, he opens it all the way through to the end, so he anticipates the end, and the end is going to be victorious. Anyway, the question is asked, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And John said, I wept much, because no man was found in heaven, no man was found in the earth, no man was found under the earth who could open the scroll. No man, even in heaven, where there's spirits of just men made perfect, not one of them was worthy to open the scroll. Why? If it was a scroll of mercy, any of us could have opened it. Any of us who have received God's mercy can share it with others. But the book of Revelation, that scroll is a scroll of judgment. And I am not worthy, neither are you, nor is any other redeemed person worthy to execute judgment on others. That's the job of the one who is the judge of all the earth. But then, verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So, the declaration is made that the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to bring forth these last day events that are depicted in the seals and the trumpets and the vials. However, when John turned to see this lion, and probably 
was expecting to feel like recoiling in fear at such an image. When he turned to see a lion, the Bible said, I look, John speaking, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, which is a strange image because if a lamb has been slain, it's slain on the ground. It's not going to be standing. But that in itself shows that Jesus was in authority even in the midst of dying. When he died on the cross, he was still in charge. He didn't allow them to break his legs. He gave up the ghost. He said, no man takes my life from me. I give it up willingly. He was standing even in death. And this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth, which is beautiful symbolism. I don't have time to go into right now, except to say that horns represent power, eyes represent perception. And if the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, the number seven is perfect. So he has perfect power and perfect insight, perfect wisdom, perfect perception about what's going to transpire in the last days and how God is going to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And the seven horns and seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So it's influences. It's his power and his perception that will go around the globe to reap the harvest of the last days, to influence the hearts of men. But he he appears as a lamb. Was God just messing with John's mind? He said, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. John turns and sees a lamb. Or is there a hidden message here? I believe there is something highly symbolic. Because see, to the world that is about to come under judgment because of the seals being broken. He would appear as a fierce and fearless lion. But to one of the redeemed, he's tender, he's humble, he's meek as a lamb. And the opposite is true too. To his people, he is a lamb. To the enemy, he's a lion. But also in like manner, to God, we are lambs. Lambs in his fold. But to the enemy, we are lions also. And the Bible says very clearly that image has been passed to us. Let's go to another scripture that proves that. But we're going to go all the way back into the Old Testament to the prophecies that Jacob pronounced over his sons. I'm not going to go into all the prophecies, just one. It's the fourth son of Leah. The first son was Reuben, then Simeon, then Levi, then Judah. And when Judah was conceived and born, when Judah came into the world, the fourth son of the despised wife, Leah. Remember that whole story, how Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and on the marriage night, he uh, unfortunately was deceived by Laban and ended up marrying Leah the sister that was older. And so she wasn't appreciated by Jacob the way she should be. He worked another seven years for Rachel, and that was his favored wife. And so she was always trying to get his favor, get his love. And with Reuben, he was named that because Reuben means see a son. And she thought, certainly he'll see that I've given him a son and he'll love me. 
and then Simeon, and then Levi. Levi means joined. And when that third son came along, she thought, well, surely my husband will be joined to me. And then finally it gets to Judah. And no longer is she trying to find her fulfillment in the acceptance of someone else. She said, his name will be Judah because now I will praise the Lord. In other words, her fulfillment in life was knowing that God's blessing was on her, not how she was being treated or not being treated, whichever the case may be, by other people. Can you see that? She named him Praise. And then later on, on Jacob's deathbed, he said, Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, just like a lion will take its paw and break the neck of an animal it's chasing after. With the force of the paw being laid on the neck of that animal, it can just snap the neck. It's such a powerful and strong part of the lion's body. And of course, that's symbolic of you and I dealing with the demonic world. Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp, or some versions say a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? One version says, who shall dare to rouse him? Now, on the highest level, this is referring to the Messiah, because Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah, the tribe whose name means praise, and the tribe that was represented by a lion. In fact, the insignia, the, uh, the large image that they carried out in front of the tribe was the image of a lion on a green background. And we have that particular banner in our church. We have a line of Judah banner in our church. So I think it's important to see also that when they were in a battle, Judah normally was the first tribe to go out against the enemy, the tribe whose name means praise. Now that speaks something to me, that if we're going to conquer various battles in life, the best way to do it is not beg, plead, cry, whimper, whine, but to go out against the enemy, praising God for victory, praising God for victory. Send Judah out first. That's important. Judah is a lion's cub, though. Well, a cub is the offspring of a lion. So where did Judah get this lion-like nature? From God, because it was God's way of saying, you know, Israel was his son, his firstborn, and and he claimed the nation of Israel as the firstborn nation of all the nations of the world. And the lion-like God transferred a lion-like nature to Judah. And that was fulfilled in the Messiah, who was the perfect product of the tribe of Judah. But you need to see this. If you've been born again, if you've been begotten of the word and born of the spirit, you are the continuation spiritually of the Judah line. So you and I are spiritually a part of the tribe of Judah, the lion-like tribe, the tribe that is like a lion's cub. Our father is the chief lion, but we're cubs in his pride, so to speak. Isn't that amazing? 
And, and something we need to learn from our father is how to claim our territory. When I was studying about lions, uh, I came across one fact that was really interesting, and I'm thinking about how to word it best, that lions are very territorial, extremely territorial. They have to be, because usually it's the female lions that hunt, but the male lion reclines and watches and protects, because if there's any predator beasts that come to attack any of the cubs or the lionesses, he'll rush after that predator. Or if another lion comes, and that can be dangerous, if another lion tries to take over the pride, then he'll kill all the cubs and raise up his own offspring. And so that lion is always alert, always alert and watching for any predator beast. And in order to intimidate any predators, Lions will walk around the perimeter of the territory they claim for their pride, and they will defecate and urinate. Sorry, I don't know any other way of saying it. They will defecate and urinate in order to leave an aroma, a very strong aroma, around the boundary or the border of their particular claimed area. And as soon as a predator beast comes up and smells that, They'll go the other direction because they know they're in dangerous territory. Well, I, I encourage you to apply that to your life symbolically. <laughs> How would you apply that? Leave the aroma of praise. Leave the aroma of faith. Leave the aroma of confidence in God and confidence in his promises on the outer perimeter of your life. Claim it. In fact, you probably ought to walk around your church or walk around your home and claim your family for the kingdom, and just declare no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Leave the aroma of your commitment, the aroma of Christ. The Bible talks about it in, uh, in your relationship with him. Now let's go a little bit deeper with this. There is a scripture also in Balaam's prophecies. I'm not going to go into the whole story of Balaam, you should read it all, Numbers 22, 23, and 24, where he goes up on high places, and King uh, Balak, uh, the king of Moab, tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel. And the first time he came back from the high place where there's an idol, and he said, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I defy whom God has not defied? And then he pronounced a blessing on Israel, much to the uh, consternation of King Balak. But he sent him up a second time on top of another mountain, and he tried to get a curse, an enchantment to work against Israel. And he came back and he said this. He said, there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. In other words, witchcraft doesn't work. You should never be intimidated by somebody claiming to put a spell on you. It falls powerless around you if you're walking with God. Let them be intimidated of the power that's in you, not you being intimidated of some evil powers that work through them. There's no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. In fact, let me tell you a little story. I had somebody call me very upset, very disturbed, because uh, they lived in this apartment complex, and this brother in the Lord that I, I actually want him to the Lord, 
He called me and said, I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned. I said, why? He said, these crazy looking people have moved in next door. And when I come out to go to work in the morning, I find images in front of my door made with, with some kind of um, some kind of dirt or s- similar substance in the shape of a pentagram or in the shape of some kind of occult symbol. Do you think they're casting a spell on me? What should I do? And he was very nervous, very anxious. And I told him, I said, tomorrow morning, I said, you, you find something like rice or wheat or something you can make a form with and put a cross in front of their door and see how it turns out. Well, the next day he called me and said, no more pentagrams. <laughs> it worked. They were more intimidated of the cross. And of course, he won that battle. And I think he ended up winning them to the Lord as well. Okay, let's go to this. He said, there's no sorcery against Jacob. This is Balaam's prophecy, nor any divination against Israel. It must now be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. This is talking about how they're coming into the promised land. They're invincible. Walls are going to fall when they shout them down. Oh, what God has done. And then Balaam prophesied and said, look, a people rises like a lioness, a lioness and lifts up itself like a lion, and it shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. In other words, Israel is not going to stop battling, fighting, struggling against the enemy until absolute victory is won. And the struggle's been going on thousands of years. It's going to intensify in the near future. But what I like about this is now the people of God are not just imaged as a lion cub, but as a lioness. And a lioness is, is the companion of a lion and depicts the bride of Christ. And remember, the lioness is the hunter. And I believe we're called of God as the lioness bride of Christ to hunt the lost souls that are trapped in this world that desperately need our influence. Let me go to the last day prophecy, and then I'm going to close. Zechariah 14, verses 2 through 4, talks about the final conflict of Israel. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And watch this closely. The Mount of Olives shall split in two from the east to the west. And then it says there will be a very large valley and half the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. So there's two fissures in the earth, two valleys that are created, one from north to south, one from east to west. That's the sign of the cross. When his feet come down, the feet of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, Yeshua, and touches the ground at the very spot where he sweated blood in agony of prayer, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's coming back to the place of his greatest agony and putting it under his feet, splitting the ground open in the shape of a cross, and then walking across that valley to the eastern gate to walk through the eastern gate and set up the kingdom of God in this earth. Right now, I know there's concrete blocks sealing up the eastern gate. I don't know if the Arabs did that to try and prevent the prophecies from coming to pass. 
But believe me, the line of the tribe of Judah is not going to be stopped nor intimidated by concrete blocks. If he can split a mountain in two, he can take care of a wall created by men. So that's the ultimate outcome. And then we're going into the kingdom. And this is my last scripture. Isaiah 65, 25, talking about the messianic kingdom to come. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains. So ultimately, the lion and the lamb will lay down together. Now that exact... uh, phrase is not found in the Bible. It says the wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullet, but it's still applicable. The lion image and the lamb image will blend together perfectly into one in the kingdom to come. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God will reign over a new creation, but the lion and the lamb will also rest together within us. There will be a perfect blend of both natures inside of us that we've inherited, like spiritual DNA transferring to us from the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God. He'll blend the the authoritative side of his nature with the humble and meek side of his nature together in us. And those are the times we are depicted in lion-like terms. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.